welcome back to the Tune Lighting Podcast, where we've been attempting to write and record an entire musical album in just one year, part-time. Um, and we've come to the end of that year now, the album is ready to go, and we're talking about some other things outside the music, which we hopefully think you will find useful. And today is one of those topics which we openly admit we have neglected uh, we probably should have been thinking about before now, but better late than never. And that subject is marketing and actually getting people to hear your music, that music you've slaved over for months or an entire year in our case, uh, rather than just letting it sit there unlistened or maybe just listened to by a few friends and family, uh, which is great, of course, but uh, you want to get it out there to as many people as possible. So with a little knowledge of marketing between us, or definitely of uh, marketing music anyway, we reached out to a specialist blogger, and that blogger is our guest today, Reagan Ram. And Reagan started his blog, The Orpheus Music Academy, to kind of merge his, uh, as he'll come on to say in the episode, so I won't go into it in too much detail right now, but basically merge his expertise in music production and his day job in marketing to help musicians uh, with the marketing side of music. So we got him on the phone and we've asked him a series of questions to help us in our kind of plan in marketing this album and uh, how to promote it in the best way with all the modern tools that are available. And hopefully those tips and tricks that he mentions in this episode will be useful to you too and you'll be able to apply them if you're releasing a single, an EP or an album. So yeah, I really enjoyed this chat. I started by asking Reagan how he got into all this, uh, where his expertise come from and uh, how he started the Orpheus Music Academy. So it's kind of, it's been an idea for mine I've had for a while. I actually created the website probably um, maybe four years ago at this point, um, when I was um, starting um, audio engineering school, and I thought, hey, I can kind of share what I'm learning on my website, but I just never found the time. And um, I was like, at the same time, I was kind of getting started in digital marketing, which is now my day job, which I do full time. And so just recently, just like this past year, I decided, hey, why don't I kind of combine the two? I can teach what I've learned about music production, but then also kind of use myself as a guinea pig applying the digital marketing strategies that I use in my day job towards music. So I'm definitely still a beginner when it comes to, you know, building a fan base and everything, but I've have been able to kind of see a lot of crossover and get some good results. I'm using what I, you know, do every day and applying it to music. It's definitely a little bit of a, a difference, you know, you know, whereas in the typical online business world, you're selling, you know, a very clear product with a clear benefit, whereas like music, you don't have, you're not really solving so much of a problem mm. per se, but you kind of are at the same time because there's people have that need for for music, right? That that provides a lot of intangible benefits to people. So kind of like making that crossover. And that's what I kind of wanted to do with my website because I've seen a lot of websites out there where people talk about music production and people talk about, you know, growing your fan base. So I thought maybe I could be some kind of bridge where I'm kind of talking about both in one place. And so, I mean, we'll see how that goes. Maybe that's, maybe that's trying to cover too much. Um, yeah, I noticed you were, to use a bit of marketing speak, you were kind of had an end-to-end approach from sort of writing to producing all the way through to um, marketing and promoting, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's been a bit of a challenge too, like remembering what it's like to not know all the marketing jar- jargon. Like when you're, for most, you know, musicians, they don't know, don't know anything about marketing. Yeah, Jack works in marketing uh, as his day job. So uh, yeah, Jack knows all this. I- well, I know I know some of it. I mean, I, I don't know how to market a band, for instance. But. So yeah, so then, so yeah, so that's what I'm just kind of trying to do with, with Orpheus Audio Academy is just kind of be that place to, for, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that are producing their own music and want to be able to, you know, grow a fan base and make some kind of an income from their own music. And so I think that's just a new kind of group of people, whereas I think before there's a lot of people that would, you know, just go to the studio to have their music produced for them or um, hire people to do the marketing for them. But there's so many more indie people now and you just don't have the budget for that kind of thing. You kind of have to do everything yourself. So that's kind of the 
the kind of the approach I'm trying to take with with my blog is helping out those kinds of people. Yeah, so it's a really everything's kind of changed. We talk a lot about on the podcast about how so we were in a band uh, originally, kind of ten. 15 years ago when we were at high school um, and everything was so different. You know, if we wanted to go and record music, we'd go, we'd hire a studio for a few days and every everyone kind of had their own little job. And then if you wanted to promote it, you'd go and get some promoters and things like that. And there's obviously all that stuff still out there. But now with, like you said, with uh, everything becoming a lot more independent, you have got the opportunity to be able to do all this stuff yourself. So it's really, it's, really exciting for musicians but it's also quite daunting because it feels like you have to do everything yourself now and it's just this crazy you have to learn marketing you have to learn all these different things that you maybe wouldn't have had to uh in the past so yeah it's kind of scary and exciting uh, at the same time i guess for uh, for musicians who are who are entering this this new world that's it's really changing well i was going to say from from our point of view we have very much not thought about marketing at all we've been like get the music done and uh it's only really in the last couple of months that rob mentioned oh we should probably have some kind of like release strategy um uh which is hopefully where you come in i mean we are sort of planning on dropping the album in a couple of months once we we've got it on back from the mastering uh engineers so i guess we'd like to know what are the kind of basic most important things you can do in a small time frame to start to build a fan base and let people know that you've got this music that they might want to hear yeah because we're pretty much starting from scratch we've got obviously the f- people that we've got connected with through the podcast and stuff but in terms of fans of the music and and building our kind of tribe from that point of view uh we've we've really started from scratch so yeah <laughs> where would us or anyone else who is starting from really from scratch and have got some music um that's about to come out what, what are the kind of starting points and, and how can you get from a to b in the quickest and best way i guess <laughs> yeah so definitely the biggest bang for your buck would be figuring out what is your micro genre or in marketing terms would be like micro niche so figuring out who are the people that are gonna be the most likely to be your biggest fans be your super fans right so it's the kind of the concept of being a big fish in a little pond versus trying to be you know, compete with all the different acts that are out there. You want to really narrow in, zoom in on who are the people that are going to be the most likely to be super fans of my type of music. So that's what you want to break down is like what, you know, what, what's kind of your big umbrella genre, but then how can you narrow it down into a smaller sub niche? And then it's just a matter of finding where are those people at online. And so like for my music, right, I'm a kind of electronic is kind of my, um, my umbrella genre. But then narrowing down, I'm kind of like synth pop. And then farther down, I'm like synth wave kind of music is what I'm making. And so that's a very specific genre of people. And there's like a whole culture around that. And so that's what you want to do with your kind of music is you want to tap into those kind of cultures that exist already and build that culture around your music. And that's what will attract people to you. And you do that just through um, with your imaging, like the kinds of posts you put out on social media. So for example, in synth wave, that's um, taps into a lot of 80s nostalgia. So that'd be a lot of like um, Back to the Future references, a lot of like uh, cyberpunk and neon lights and that kind of stuff. And so you want to find where those people are hanging out online. And then the fastest way to grow an audience is just running Facebook ads. That's a little bit of a complicated process. So you can kind of go organic where you're just kind of, you know, creating those those posts on social media to attract that that, that uh, culture to you, those fans to you. Um, so that's kind of the free organic route with, you know, whether platform you're going to be on, whether it's, you know, Instagram or Facebook. Um, but then what I've kind of had the best results with, with growing quickly is through um, Facebook ads. And so I'll mm. put out a, um, a little clip of one of my songs and I'll put like a little description to kind of flag um, my ideal fan saying, Hey, this is for you. And kind of like my twist is I kind of have some more, um, I guess more, I guess, EDM kind of influence as well with my kind of synth wave. So it's kind of like the little twist. So kind of the the way I tried to kind of call out my fans was I'm saying it's like Owl City meets the eighties. Right. um, Cause that's kind of another big influence for me was Owl City. And so that's kind of really stood out to people. And that's how I was able to kind of grow my fan base rather quickly and um, 
what I really recommend for that is building your email list. That's just so foundational for any business. Yeah, I never really you. thought about email at all for music. Like it just seems so far from kind of, yeah. Right. Like, but it's, I've noticed you talk about email lists quite a lot on your blog and stuff. So yeah, I hadn't thought about that at all right. really. For, yeah. yeah, a lot of people think like email, that's, you know, outdated. But yeah. that's actually, that's where people buy still. People are, are less likely to buy through social media unless it's a very... Um, visual, very clear um, product that you can see what it is, like merch or that kind of thing can do well. But um, for for music, you kind of got to build that relationship with people. Um, so you want to get them on your email list. Also, that's just a way you can always contact them, right? So all these social mm-hmm. media platforms, they're just basically pay to play at this point. They're not going to really show your post to any of your audience unless you pay for ads anyway. So you might as well get them on your email list and that way you can always contact all of your fans. They might not all open your emails, right? You might only have like a 30% open rate, but they're all going to see your, you know, your subject line in their emails. So you're staying in their mind. And so you can continue to, you know, give them value. You can share about your life, share about your music, build that relationship with them to get to know you and get more exposure to your music. And that's just also where people are more comfortable buying from. There's tons of studies that have been done on this. People are a lot much more likely to buy through email. Um, that's where people are ready are going to like take actions. Whereas in social social media, people are more typically there to be social. They're not really in a buying mindset most of the time. So email is just so foundational for that and for for getting sales and just growing that relationship with your fans. And so that's what I did with my ad was I had them get a free song. They sign up for my email list. And I'll I'll give them a free song that they, they can download. And so that's how I I did a kind of grew my fan base pretty quickly. It was through Facebook ads. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's this difference, I guess. Again, to use uh, marketing speak and and so is you're probably better to try and build those true fans, those super fans, the the thousand true fans, as it were. Um, and I guess that's going to be more of a slow process, isn't it? More of a chipping away with with some ads or some some marketing, and rather than trying to get a, a viral. Uh, song that maybe you get a thousand a million plays but then everyone forgets you it's much better to go for the other route i guess it first it depends what right. you're trying also, to do it's really but... hard to do yeah <laughs> go viral can we just get the um, click the viral button please and there's there's no viral formula but yeah this kind of strategy it's a proven formula you can it's gonna get you fans if you have you know everything done the right way if you're tapping into the right audience and you're giving them the right message that they you know connect with and so you're just guaranteed to get fans that way if you have those elements in place correctly, right? And um, yeah, you can't really count on going viral. And like you said, even if you, you do go viral, people might say, oh, that was fun, right? That's a kind of that's yeah. a fun thing. But then they forget about it and move on to the next viral thing. They're not really going to stay in your ecosystem and become super fans. Cool. So you mentioned email as kind of a, a point of sale, Um tool would would you say there's still value to be had in kind of growing your relationship with your audience through email as in keeping them updated um letting them in on your world or is, or is that more of a social media uh route i definitely that's what i definitely use um email for i think that's a little bit more personal because it's like you're showing up right in their inbox you can even personalize your emails um yeah. when you're using that you know this um the email autoresponder tools, you can put their name in the email. And mm. um, so social media is definitely the same thing. Um, but a lot of, I think, social media platforms are all just built to kind of be just little bite-sized snippets. I mean, with Instagram, I know having longer um, captions is recommended. Um, but email is just really personal. And it's just more guaranteed that you're going to show up and be seen as well versus on social media, unless you're spending on um, money on ads or you really master um like hashtags on Instagram, but yeah, email is what I use it for. So there's kind of, you want to, you know, share, um, personal things. You also want to share kind of professional things. So anything about your music, um, personal can be just anything about your life. So you're kind of building that relationship. And then the kind of the final category is then promotional. That's where you, you know, promote your merch or your music or something that you're offering your, your, um, Patreon, if you have that. And so those are kind of the three categories I try to cover with with my emails. And that also kind of fits flows into social media as well. Okay, talking about building on social media. Um, 
how bands kind of present themselves now i've noticed a kind of change uh, look on instagram and things there's a lot more focus of bands kind of trying to reveal their true personality and lots of videos of them kind of talking or showing and to try to connect with the fans on that level and it feels like it's kind of changed a lot from maybe when we were growing up where it felt like quite a lot of bands were a bit more mysterious like you know you'd, you'd almost didn't know about the band behind in a lot of cases or you they had that air of mystery do you think that's kind of changed forever now and you have to be that um very open kind of connect with the fans are people expecting that now or can you still be a bit more kind of mysterious in terms of you know posting just more um what's the word like artistic images of album art or of little bit videos or do you have to do those front facing face on the camera kind of connect with the audience stuff yes yes and no so i'll say yeah definitely people are looking for that that connection but that doesn't necessarily have to be with you if you don't want it to be you if you want it to be your persona that you create for your music so you can definitely have that be have that almost be your character is that mis- that mystery mm. and you can definitely build more of a culture that's definitely what you want to do either way you want to be building that culture sharing images that are related to your music right so if you're um, like a country artist you know what all do you think about when it comes to like country music Right. So you would post more that kind of sort of thing. I'm not really a country music person. So I don't know if that'd be like dirt <laughs> roads. Weeds. Yeah. I'm not going to uh, say yeah. anything. I don't want to offend any Pick country music. <laughs> <laughs> no. But yeah. So for me, it's like I'm kind of have more of the, the sci fi um, 80s feel. So I'm kind of wanting to share more of that, those kinds of pictures because that's just going to attract people that are already interested in that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's what, you know, my music is a huge, it draws from the 80s music. Um, so that's what would attract people that are already likely to like my kind of music. They, if they like this image, they're also probably like my music. That's the kind of approach that I take. And so, yeah, if, if you, you know, don't really want to have your own persona, if you want to have a more mysterious or alter kind of ego for your, your music, you can totally do that. And then I think you just, you know, what is, what all goes into that, that character, what are their, you kind of build out a character like as if you were like writing a novel or something mm-hmm. what's all what are all their traits and then you show those to your fans even if it's you know not all you know authentic or invulnerable or whatever those terms that people like to throw out um but you can definitely do that i think with social media and that can be you know that's part of your your character is you don't know much about them but you can pick up on these different clues that you leave and so that, i think that would also be very um powerful and very effective yeah, it's interesting what you said about the types of imagery that will attract certain people. Because so I suppose more more than ever now with um, the internet, you can almost have a sort of two-pronged approach of primarily on social media, people are seeing images first and foremost, and whether that's, there's a video or audio attached to that, that's what they're seeing. So you could, in theory, attract an audience who likes your kind of visual aesthetic primarily and draw them in that way to the music which I was, I mean, I've only ever really thought of it the other way around, music first, stick some visuals on it, and they'll try and complement each other. But it's an interesting way to try and uh, widen the net, I guess, if you've got a great visual side. Yeah, I think if it's something like Synthwave, it does it does conjure up very vivid kind of imagery, like you say, 80s, the kind of neon colours, like that seems, I think for what we were writing, there's probably... Well, maybe that's what we need to decide is we don't really know what our micro genre is, do we? Or we start, we've, we've got a lot of influences from rock and, and indie rock, but there's also a lot of synth in there and a lot of kind of that side of things as well. And we've, we try, we have tried to kind of push the boundaries of genres together a little bit and things like that. So I don't know, maybe it's a case of, uh, of finding other bands that have done similar things or have a similar kind of blend between genres. I mean, that's the place you want to start is, yeah, kind of narrowing on or who, down on who are those similar bands to you. And what's really cool is Facebook actually has this audience insights tool you can use where you can like um, type in that, that band that maybe you're similar to, but it's a lot bigger than you. And then it will show you... Um, all the things that people that follow them, all the other things that they like or are interested in. So you might find that there's like a book or a movie or a magazine that fans of this band really seem interested in, right? And you can kind of just go down the rabbit hole and, and uh, find all those different things that you wouldn't maybe 
you know, necessarily think that all these fans would like, but you find out, Hey, there's this trend. And then you can experiment with posting things that are related to that and seeing if that resonates and attracts those people to you that would also be interested in your style of music. Yeah. I think it's important. Like you said, with the, with the Owl City uh, reference and things to actually nail down something that people will have heard of, even if, cause like we're, we're still not sure who we sound like. I'm sure we sound like plenty of people, but we're, but people have said, oh, that sounds really like this band. And like, oh, okay, we, yeah. that's not even a band that we really know or we're even massive fans of. But it's funny how people make those connections like, instantly to who, who you sound like or, or what that reminds them of. Yeah, yeah I think, I guess it's, it can only be a benefit to try and latch on to a few of those connections that people make and use them to find an audience, right? Because um, then at least someone, even if, even if we're not identical to... A certain band at least for some sort of reference that people can look at and think okay i might be interested in this and there might be right you might want to look at what music did you listen to growing up or what music are you listening to currently because that's probably influenced your music whether you've realized it or not and so that might be a place to, to start and think who are we similar to yeah i guess even yeah even stuff that we like that's influenced us if it's influenced us to make the music we make then maybe it will appeal to other people who like the same stuff. Yeah, I probably should have thought about this stuff slightly. That can be a good place to start, but I mean, I think it's totally fine to do it after the fact because now you have the music, you can listen to your music, right? As you're thinking about, all right, what is my, you know, micro niche? What's my, you can just start big, you know, okay, rock, you know, that's my my umbrella. Then you have indie rock. And then it's like, what are the subgenres below that that you can really focus in on and just start looking at other bands, what, what do they post? What other fans interested in? And then, yeah, that's where you can start is just with a Facebook ad and you can, you know, customize your audience. And so you can say, I want to show this ad to everyone who likes, you know, this band, this band and that band. And then you say, hey, you know, this music is like, you know, for me, I said, Al City meets the 80s. Or you can say your music is, you know, whatever you can, you think is the, you know, descriptor of your music and say, hey, you know, sign up below to, to <clears throat> get a free song. And so that's how you can start growing that email list. And that's where you can, once they're on your email list, you can point them to your social media. You can point them to your merch or your music or whatever you want to send them to and just build that relationship. And that's really the foundation for, for growing the fan base. Mm, okay. Yeah. So with types of uh, Facebook ad, I've, I've had a look at them in the past. Is there a, a particular type that you've found or that's kind of recommended um, or do you have to use them in, um, in conjunction? So I'm talking about, so getting people to like your page or getting them to go some, to somewhere else, like to your website, or getting them to um, yeah to view a video or something like that. Are there any particular types that work better than others? And are there any kind of mistakes that you see a lot in terms of people getting Facebook ads wrong and doing using them in the wrong way? I guess. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of different purposes, a lot of different types of Facebook ads you can run that serve different um, purposes. And so it really depends what you want to run. It kind of depends on your budget. So I think the biggest mistake I see is just people just saying, oh, I have some extra money. Let me just throw a Facebook ad out there with no real mm. um, consideration for what is your drive with that ad? What do you, what's your goal for that ad? What do you want to achieve? And I think a lot of times people just run ads to kind of just get exposure, right? But they don't yeah. really gain any real capital from that. And so um if you have a bigger budget, you can run, you know, all kinds of different ads. You can run just a video to kind of just gain exposure or something. But if you're limited, which is what I had, I had a limited budget, then I would just focus very strategically on getting people on your email list because that's, okay. that's like real return on investment. Um, because uh, marketers will say, I don't know if this is the same in the music industry. This is something I'm still learning myself, mm. but I know marketers will say like um, an email list subscriber can be worth, you know, up to like, a dollar per month for every email list subscriber you have. So um, that's probably a higher number than what you would see in the, in the music industry. But the point remains that an email list subscriber is, you know, valuable. That's something that's a return on investment. So I would run a conversion ad. That's what I ran and had success with. And so what Facebook conversion ads are, is they're designed to actually get you what's called a conversion, meaning they get, you know, a sale or a sign up. Um, Whereas there's other ads like traffic ads, which are just targeting people that click, right? Yeah. So a conversion ad is Facebook knows so much about all of us. So it's going to show your ad to the people that they know actually convert. They actually go through the whole process of signing up or of buying. So that's what you want to run on those conversion ads 
to what I used was just a little video that had like a 30 second clip of my song. I'm um, just had a little bit of a description, you know, saying what it was and how they can sign up below to get the song for free. So they listen to the song for 30 seconds. If they like it, they'll then, yeah. you know, click on the button to put in their email address and sign up and then they'll be on my email list. And then I send them an automatic email that gives them that song that they can then download and listen to. That's fascinating to me. Is that targeting specifically people who have who are the types of people who sign up to things rather than necessarily what they like, just their types of behavior to previous marketing campaigns. Right. Which is why I also don't recommend just hitting like the boot, the blue, like boost this post button, which yeah. is, um, there is an advanced strategy you can, you can use with that. But what a lot of people do is they just hit boost. And what that type of ad is, is an engagement ad. That means it's just targeting the people that like to click like or smiley face <laughs> or heart yeah. On, yeah. on Facebook. Right. They're not necessarily going to, even go click through to your website or sign up. They just are the kinds of people that engage. And that can be beneficial. This is something that I wanted to experiment with. This works in the marketing world that I do for my day job. I haven't done this yet in the music, but what you do is you run, this is really advanced. I don't know if you want to. No, go for it. <laughs> but um, you can run first an engagement ad on say, say you're doing the same thing. You have a little song clip, you run an engagement ad so then tons of people will be engaging with that post. They'll get lots of likes, lots of smiley faces, hearts, whatever. And so that kind of boosts what's known as social proof. So people see, oh, lots of people like this. It must be good. Whereas if nobody likes it, they think, oh, it must be bad, right? Mm-hmm. So you get a bunch of, you know, you get 100 likes or whatever, you, you know, however long you run that ad. And then you can actually switch it over to a conversion ad and then show it to the people that are going to convert. And then that can actually boost your yeah, conversion because you see, look at all these people that like this. It must be good. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the groundwork, really, the first step to getting those conversions. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's funny how simple our minds are sometimes when it comes to things like, uh, yeah, social proof. It's, <laughs> I find it fascinating how we kind of just follow things that other people like. It's just, yeah, that's the way we are. That's the way we're wired, I guess. It's the, the basics of marketing. Maybe you have an audience of hipsters, then you probably wouldn't want to do that because like, oh, yeah. it must be the best. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what what we want is um, sycophants, and yeah, we want uh, we want the shallowest audience possible. Basically, <laughs> I've used Facebook ads a bit. I've never really delved into. I know Instagram's owned by Facebook, so is that kind of similar? Do you have to have a different, completely different strategy for? Instagram and then have you have you ventured into the realms of TikTok um, in terms of uh, using that for marketing because that is a completely alien world to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I run, yeah, when I run Facebook ads, I, um, you have the option to include them being shown on Instagram, and I've just left those engaged. So when I do run Instagram, so I'm technically I'm running Instagram ads, um, but then it will give you analytics on what your results are, like where the, the people that sign up, where they actually sign up, did they sign up? Um, through seeing your ad in the newsfeed on Facebook or in the newsfeed on Instagram. And I've, I've seen the best results seem to be from Facebook. Right. Um, but I haven't really dove too deep into that. But that's something that, you know, involves more experimentation. I'd like to learn more about that. And then as far as TikTok goes, I've kind of been avoiding getting into that. I know <laughs> yeah. it can be really successful, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not one of the, the kinds of people, I guess, that's, I guess, willing to do weird dances yeah. Instagram to attract people. So I haven't learned enough about it. Um, I've thought about it. It's just with my, my time so limited. Um, I'm kind of just trying to focus on what's given me the best return yeah. on my investment so far. And so uh, I've kind of just been kind of focusing on Instagram and, and Facebook ads. So this is a horribly vague question, <laughs> but, um, but you sort of touched upon already. But if, if you had a choice, because we've got a finite amount of time, for instance, or finite amount of budget, is it better to go with a wide breadth of platforms um, and maybe post less on each or to focus on one or two uh, and try and really nail down your audience and post as frequently as possible? Yeah, definitely. I would definitely recommend focusing for sure. And this goes for anything in life, really. If you try to go too broad, you're not really going to make much progress. I kind of like to use the analogy of it's like, You've just arrived on a you know deserted island, and you know there's buried treasure. And you, you get on the beach, and you see all these X marks, right? X marks the spot where the buried treasure is. So you start digging in one, and you're like, "Oh, TikTok looks really interesting. I'll go dig at that X." And then you're like, <laughs> oh, Facebook look, looks interesting. I'll go dig there. And you're digging, you're doing a lot of digging, but you're not really getting anywhere. So it's much more, I think, efficient to just focus on one strategy, whatever that's going to be. If that's Instagram, 
if that's going to be ads or TikTok, and you get success in that one area before moving on and expanding. Because it's definitely can be really powerful to have all these different platforms, all these different streams of income, right? There's a lot of different ways to monetize your audience once you've built it. But I think it's it's best to just focus on in one strategy and go in one direction, especially if your time's limited, if your bu- budget's limited, because that will get you to where you want to go the fastest. And then you can just expand from there. Okay. So in terms of uh, actually where people listen these days, I mean, all you hear now is is Spotify, 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 Spotify. Is that really where you need to focus like 99% of your thinking? Is there still, I mean, we obviously would like to kind of bring it out in hard copy and CD and we've talked about vinyl, although that is sounding quite tricky. Uh, now we're speaking to mastering engineers and stuff, so might not go down the vinyl route. But um yeah, is is Spotify really the the main focus? And is there anything you kind of need to think of in terms of getting your music in the right place on there? Um, you know, people talk a lot about playlists and um, getting on playlists and stuff as a way of promoting. Or you know, is there any way you can control where your who your associated artists are and things like that? Or is that just completely random? It, a big part of it also kind of is what niche you're in, right? So some groups of fans are more collector fans. They like yeah. the physical things. Um, so that might be more if you're in these, these smaller genres, like um, maybe if you're in like some kind of like fantasy metal genre or um, probably synthwave Cause that hype, you know, goes back to the nostalgia and those people yeah, are collector yeah. fans. So if you have like collector fans, I think you can definitely get away, away with selling physical music and just bypassing Spotify, right? You run those ads, you build your list, and then you say, hey, buy my CD or buy my vinyl. And so that's just a matter of growing that audience and then talking to them right through email, give them surveys, find out what they want. Um, but then, yeah, Spotify, for sure, that's where people are listening. That's, it's, that's a huge market, right? So um, maybe you would take the approach of putting just your best songs on Spotify and then maybe saving your full albums to 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 sell just to your fans. Or you take the approach of just, you know, going all out on Spotify and trying to grow your streams, right? Because yeah. the more songs you have on Spotify, the more money you can make just through streams and getting on different playlists. So um, I'm, I'm wanting to get more into Spotify more myself. I've, I've kind of um, delved into it a little bit and gotten some yeah. good results. And, and so, yeah, so the answer to your question for how to get on different playlists, there's really, you know, there's three different types of Spotify playlists. There's the, um, the algorithm generated playlists. Then there's the, um, the playlist that Spotify themselves creates, right? They have their own group of editors that create these editorial playlists. And then you just have the regular users that create you know, their own playlists. And so those are the only ones that you can directly control getting onto. If you have a Spotify for artists account, you can submit a song to potentially get placed on an editorial playlist, but there's no guarantee that you'll, you'll get on any of those. I've not gotten on any of those. Right. So where I've had the best results is, is reaching out to actually um, user generated playlists, right? You can kind of, you know, look at the playlists that are, have music that's similar to yours. And then you find um, you click on that. You can see like the user's profile picture. And then you use that to kind of search Facebook for them. And then you send them a message and most people don't respond to you, but <laughs> Keep up with it. Eventually, someone will, you know, will respond back. And if they like your music, they'll add it to their playlist. And that's where you can really see a spike in streams once you get put on these playlists. And the more you get put on user-generated playlists, other people put your song on their playlist. That's how you can kind of start to trigger the Spotify algorithm where it will start putting your music on algorithmic-generated playlists. And then that can catch the attention of the editors and kind of start that snowball effect there. So... Um, if you're wanting to grow on Spotify, that's where I definitely start is looking at what are all the traits of your music? Cause there's so many different Spotify playlists out there. There's like summertime music, like music yeah. for different seasons or different feelings. So you want to break down, not just like what genre you have to kind of treat each song as a single mm. from your album and, and think what feelings does this generate or what seasons does it go to, or what, you know, micro genre does this particular song fit into and then you create a list of, you know, playlists that you, you go searching for playlists on Spotify. And then you just start that, that long process of finding <laughs> them on Facebook and then sending them a personal message saying, Hey, love your playlist. Would you mind, you know, checking out my song and adding it if you, if you think it's a fit. And that's how you can start to, to grow your streams on Spotify, the, the most organic way. Okay. 
Nice. Yeah, I never thought of marketing our songs differently, actually. I suppose we do have a few songs that sound quite varied from one another. So, yeah, it only makes sense that if you're going down the playlist route, you would target different playlists, different users. Um, yeah, something to consider. Yeah, because well, I think I've never thought of kind of thinking of every track as a single, but there is the potential to do that now. I think I'm still stuck in the old-fashioned mindset of like you have your single release and then another single release and then you drop the album which we're probably still going to do because I still think there's benefits to that. But actually, because we're still building our fan base and we've not, that maybe makes more sense when you've got a fan base and you're on like your third album or something and you you drop it to kind of build the expectation for the for the album. But at the moment, as we're still pretty much got no fan base, it's, it probably makes more sense to just, yeah, treat each one as a single and just try and get it to the right people. Because maybe yeah. you have that slower, like, ballad-type song that you think, well, this would never be a traditional single, but yeah. there's tons of Spotify playlists out there for those slower-type songs. And so that might song, you might get it on the right playlist, that might actually be your most popular song. <laughs> That's exactly. actually what happened to me. We, I had the instrument, it's like one instrumental song on my album, yeah. and I just found this big, like, chill music playlist and the the user of that playlist really liked it, added it, and now it's, it gets tons of streams. So, <laughs> yeah. what, What's the song called? It's called Angel Army. I'll look it up. So, yeah, so it's got, it's now my most listened to song. Interesting. Yeah, well, to, to follow up on that point then, I guess, um, I don't know if you have any experience in kind of album release schedules. Uh, Rob just mentioned we were thinking of staggering a few singles first um do you have any advice for doing so is is for a, a, a best strategy for a kind of number of posts to build excitement for a launch or is it better to do it all at once um yeah you definitely want to build that hype period first so um there's you kind of kind of think of your launch in the terms of like what are my launch assets so that's like your music that's any images or graphics, that's any videos that you have created, um, any emails you want to send or any ads you want to run. And so then you kind of just map that out and how can you keep that buzz building? So you can, you know, drop, have some like maybe images leading up to your first single that you release and you release that. And then maybe you have some a lyric video or some other behind the scenes videos that kind of come out after that fact to kind of promote that single. And um, maybe your first one, right is for free like they get they sign up for your email list to get it for free yeah so now you're growing your email list and then maybe a month later you, you have another single out and that one you know they can buy and that's again promoting your album you kind of do the same process and then it comes to your album release and you have the kind of the same thing in mind and the the whole concept behind this is having these different assets is so that when you you know your album releases and you're promoting it and saying hey go get the album you're not left with after the fact, what do I do now? Do I just go tell people to go buy the album again? Well, no, mm. you can say, watch this video or look at this cool um, behind the scenes um, little clip we have. And so you're indirectly then promoting the album without kind of tiring out your audience saying, oh, you're promoting their album again. It's like, oh no, this is mm. something cool related. And then this also just works in getting people to buy because of this, there's this marketing concept that's, people have to see an offer like seven or more times before they actually will buy it. And maybe you've, you probably, this probably happened to you without you even noticing it. Maybe you first became aware of something through some advertisement and you're like, Oh, that's dumb. Why would I ever buy that thing <laughs> ads or you see someone else mention it. And then maybe a need arises and you're like, Oh, I need that product. Now I'm going to buy it. So it's kind of yeah. the same thing as you keep exposing people to your music <laughs> in different ways. Like maybe you have a cool, um, artwork or something that is related to it. And then you have a video and then maybe you send out an email that is kind of telling a story behind it. And, and then maybe you feature, you know, some user generated content, like maybe you have a fan that takes a picture of themselves listening to it. And then, you know, people that didn't buy right away, they kind of just keep getting exposed to it. And then they're like, okay, mm. I'm going to buy now. That's kind of the, the concept. So it's, it's very, but you've got to be thinking everything you do has got to be giving some kind of value in some way rather than being like, buy my album <laughs> and they're like why what, what reason is that? Exactly. right there's definitely a place for that definitely on like launch day right you've right you've been doing this hype it's totally yeah. fine now you've given all this value to actually ask for people to buy it hey buy it support us that's great but you don't want to be doing that all the time yeah you know saying you know hey i'm a starving artist buy my music buy my yeah. music people get tired of that people right 
people want to know what's in it for them. That's why people buy. They buy if there's a value perceived for them. So that's totally fine to do, but maybe do that like 20% of the time. The right. other 80%, you're giving them more value, more cool things. And then that indirectly leads to them wanting to buy your music or join your Patreon or get your merch, whatever it is you're offering. Yeah, it's something I hadn't really thought about. Another thing I hadn't really thought about. <laughs> you need uh, to start thinking more. I need to, yeah, Jesus. Um, I'd sort of considered the release schedule, marketing schedule as kind of a gradual slope up towards release day, hyping it up, and then it sort of drops off a cliff. I'm done. But actually, the most important part is probably once the album's out and you've got something real to promote that people can access straight away. So it's about how do you keep the interest up for a following month, two months, three months after it's come out. Right. So yeah, you definitely want to think about that kind of the momentum phase after the launch is how can I keep the momentum going? What cool things can I release that kind of draw people back to the album? You know, if they've forgotten, it keeps them coming back to it. And, you know, that extends for a certain period of time. And then you can actually then wrap all that together and kind of create an automated email sequence for new fans, right? So maybe a couple of months down the road, you're again looking to build your audience. And so you run that ad, you get people into your email list. You can then set up an automated sequence that says, you know, points them to all that old content you've released. Like, hey, look at this behind the scenes video or um, look at this this cool um uh, cover that one of our fans did or something. And so you can have that all set up in your email service provider that these automatic emails that go out to new fans. And then they're kind of re going through that launch. Again, all these new people are kind of going through that launch automatically. And so you can generate, you know, sales or new, um, fan group members, you know, months down the road from new fans that join us, this kind of automated process. Yeah, that's very useful. So you're not kind of wasting your content as it were on one day which you know people may not have seen yeah this is there's just so much more you can do now there's social media and all this different all these different platforms to keep people entertained i mean i've heard a lot of people say yeah well you don't want to you want to be careful dropping the album and then people are going to want more they're going to people always want more but if you can use the album to create more content or do your things with it then that's then that's fine. Yeah, not really thought of it like that. I was kind of thinking, oh no, we've got to make another album <laughs> once it's gone. So that's they're going to want more. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Have an acoustic version, or yeah, yeah. just kind of yeah, behind the scenes talking about how you created it, and kind of yeah, you can create like four or five videos from like one song. Hmm. Uh, and in terms of, um, I noticed you'd, you've written an article on this fairly recently on your blog about. Uh, DistroKid and CD Baby and these kind of ways of distributing music digitally. Um, I, I mean, it, could you talk us through a bit about, for anyone who doesn't know about what those services do, uh, the advantages of them and, and why we, I mean, I'm still fairly um, novice in terms of uh, knowing what they do and, and how to uh, use them in the right way um yeah what, what could you give us a little bit of a insight into what those are and, and how people would use them right so there's a ton of different distributors out there and their their job is just to deliver your music to all the different stores that are out there you know apple spotify all, you know amazon on and on and yeah i don't even i don't know i, I wanted to do this something i wanted to kind of dive in to more and probably in future content is creating a more in-depth guide and comparing all the different ones but that's a massive yeah. project so yeah. i kind of started with the two i i know because i've used td baby before and i've currently used distro kid yeah and so why i like distro kid is just because um well, it fits with my budget number one it's kind of one of the cheaper options to go with you're mm. just paying a monthly fee and you can release as much music as you want and i'm wanting to get to the point where i can release music regularly whereas with um CD Baby, you have to pay for each release. Yeah. And um, DistroKid, I really like too, just because it's kind of it seems more built for um, the independent artist and building on online because they have lots of cool tools for you, whether it's creating little videos for your music. And it's just very user friendly, very easy to go through and to get your music on different into different sport, um, stores like Spotify and Amazon and Apple and all that. Okay. Yeah, that's, so it's just, they just literally distribute the music to all those places with a simple, you kind of put your album, you put your track on there and then they, they take care of the rest. Yep, you just upload it, upload your art, you know, put in all your song titles and then, um, yeah, it just sends it to all the stores for you and it's done just like that. And 
Uh, DistroKid, I don't know about CD Baby, that also lets you, you can create, um, I believe it's DistroKid, um, that lets you create the, the Spotify canvas now. So when you watch those, you know, oh, listen yeah. music on yeah, Spotify, yeah. you see those little videos, you can do that inside of DistroKid. Yeah, I was wondering where you did that. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Either the only or one of the, the uh, distributors that's recommended by Spotify. And is there any value in trying to set up your own uh, point of purchase, your own little shop on your website? Um, Definitely. Or- yes. Yeah. I actually had my own um, spot or uh, Shopify shop before the pandemic hit and I had to, oh, really? uh, hold. but uh, I'm wanting to, to build a new shop on my website for sure. Um, Cause that's where you're going to make the most um, profit, have the most profit margin is by selling yeah. directly from your own shop. Um, whereas if you're selling on Amazon or these other platforms, they're going to take a cut. And so, yeah, if you have that email list, right, you want them to buy rather than sending them to one of these third-party stores, you send them right to your own shop on your own website. Yeah, definitely. What is, just out of interest, what is the kind of cut um, that the likes of Amazon take? I know for Spotify, you hear all these stories about artists getting paid a fraction of a cent per million streams or whatever. I was wondering what it's like for downloading. Yeah, point zero zero four cents is what you get paid for uh, a Spotify stream. So yeah, I'm actually not sure what the cut is on Amazon. I'll have to look at that myself. I'm not sure. But um, I just know, yeah, if you're selling it through your own shop, all you have to pay, right? If, you're, if it's uh, digital, right? Then you're, you, there's no expense at all. If yeah. it's a physical CD, then you're just paying, you know, the shipping costs. Unless you, mean, hmm. you can even have that built into the price is shipping. So then your shipping is covered. And so then you're, it's just whatever it costs you to actually get the CD printed is your only expense if you're selling through your own shop. Um, so yeah, I think in my um, email to you, I mentioned that we have a couple of questions that uh, we ask all our guests. Uh, I always forget to ask guests in advance. So usually I spring this on. <laughs> uh, so I think you've probably had about an hour warning. So I apologize for that. Because <laughs> those are hard questions. Yeah, and if, I think it's one of those where the, see you're clearly passionate about music, and I think you think when you make the question, oh, for someone that's passionate about music, it'll be easy. But actually, the more passionate you are, the harder it's yeah. going to be because you're going to have by choice thousands. But we'll ask you anyway, and you you can give us m- multiple albums, or you can just say you know the first one that comes into your head. But the question, the first question that we've asked all our guests is, do you have a kind of standout album uh, an album that you kind of always go to is one of your favorites of all time a lot of the focus of this podcast has been on albums and we yeah, we love albums growing up with albums and uh, as a art form and as a way of packaging music together so yeah do you have any uh, particular albums that you uh, that you really like and that have stuck with you uh, over the years yeah for sure and uh, I, real quick on you know just talking about albums in general i think yeah. that's Definitely something that's coming back in. Oh, um, I read a really good. <laughs> I read a really good book recently called "The Revenge of Analog," and right. how people, you know, people. There's now people are sitting down and listening to a whole album. People are wanting to get, you know, physical vinyls. Right, that's coming back. And mm. even I've seen tape, right, cassette tapes. Yeah, I've seen tapes going back. back. Yeah, so, yeah, about time. Right, it's kind of things kind of go in cycles. It's like everything's digital, but now people want to go back to, um, you know, physical. Like even at the right, I went to where I went to school, there's actually a commercial re- recording studio there and lots of acts will come and actually wanting to record on tape. Which really? doesn't make wow. any sense yeah. at all, but people just want what they can't have. So yeah, I like albums yeah. too. And I think those are coming back in and um, some of my favorite albums, I would say kind of what I grew up on was listening to the cars, oh, yeah. so, like their first album in heartbeat city. And that's kind of, I've kind of kind of gone back to that with listening to Synthwave is what my kind of my major um, listening habits are right now. And probably mm. my favorite synthwave album is um, Christine, a self-titled album by the, the artist oh, yeah. Christine. And um, as far as why I love it, I, I just think that it's it's really unique as far as like synthwave goes. And it has a lot of those nostalgic um, 80s influences um, into the kind of reminds me of the cars a bit and has great just guitars and vocals and really creative background vocals too, which you don't hear mm, so much okay. in modern music. So. So yeah, she's a smaller artist, right? Synthwave itself is kind of a smaller niche genre because um, it's synthwave. If you don't know, it's actually based on soundtrack music from mm. '80s sci-fi and fantasy movies. So um, 
it's kind of a smaller genre, but it's 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 coming. It's kind of growing in popularity, like the weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're blinding lights, right? That was that was actually really a synthwave type kind of song. So, um, nice. Yeah, I'll get my answer. Cool, cool. Well, that's excellent. I mean, yeah, that's I think that wraps up kind of everything we've we've got to to talk about. I mean, it's been really interesting. Lots of stuff for us to learn. Like you say, just scratching the surface, really. But um, yeah, it's it's something that I, you know, marketing, music, and things like that is something that I will help hold my hands up and say, well, I know quite a bit about the production side and the and that kind of side of things. It's uh, this is an area that's completely new to me. So thanks very much for sharing your your insights uh, on all of that. I mean, people can go to your blog and uh, check out your, your various things you're doing to if they want more information on uh, on all this kind of stuff, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, I actually yes. have a uh, free guide too. Um, if you just go to orpheusaudioacademy.com nice. slash fan base, and that kind of walks you through the whole formula to go from, you know, no fans at all to having those super fans that, you know, buy all your merch, join your fan club, buy all your music, et cetera. So if you want kind of the whole, the whole picture, you can go to orpheusaudioacademy.com slash fan base to get that guide. You mentioned your music um, as well. Is, uh, is there anywhere that's best for people to, to go search for that? Yeah, you can uh, find our music on andromedacoastmusic.com. It's our, our band website. So you can check out our latest music there. Awesome. Well, that's it for another episode of the Tune Lighting Podcast. I hope you found that as useful as we did. I know this is an area that can be quite daunting for musicians in wanting to just stick to the music, but obviously it's a big part of it because you want to get that music out there and you want to get people hearing it. And with that in mind, uh, if you didn't hear in the last few episodes where we've talked about it, uh, we have settled on a band name, which is The Bear Tax. That is what we will be releasing our music under. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and places at The Bear Tax, where we have started setting up social media and started doing a bit of stuff. We need to do a bit more. Uh, and we should have our first single back from the Mastering Engineers in the next few days so keep an eye out for that we'll do some posts do some promotion put some of this marketing into action so yeah we'll be keeping the episodes coming as we release music uh, there's plenty more to talk about plenty more guests to get on plenty more people to speak to so yeah thanks again and we'll see you next time <laughs>